All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. All right, baby, Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a Gunner Kennel when he goes to and fro, and in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints, and, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide the dms if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel all right our number one asked question is revolving around force fetch whether your dog drops the bumper or duck at the edge of the water or you failed a few hunt tests because the dog monkeys with the birds or won't pick up a bird let me help you help your dog bunch of different breeds bunch of different personalities start to finish teaching you how to do it links in the description got the pterodactyl blaine tarnecki back for his podcast hudson rivers brown dog academy chronicles welcome to the show blaine welcome back give everybody a little uh a tickle on what you've been up to my friend we have been up to a lot of hunt tests and a lot of trial and a lot of training and a lot of fishing <laughs> yeah you slayed them a lot man. less fishing than the rest though yeah, but when you go out, you've been making them pay. What have you been fishing for? Ah, we like to fish for them stripers, and we like to fish for them spotted bass. Let's be honest. What do you really call stripers? We like to call them strippers. <laughs> <laughs> they are strippers. They, they strip your line. You're looking exactly. at it from a, yeah. you know, a vulgar standpoint, bud. Oh, that's what it is? Okay. Yeah, they strip your line. Okay. But you uh, you have been hammering them, huh? Yeah, we have. It's been pretty fun this year. Um, the weather's been a little different. It's been a lot cooler, and I don't know. Just been better fishing. Lead. Mm, you thought I was going to say bismuth. I switched it up on you. Hey, get you and your buddies prepared for duck season, just like you're preparing your dog. Seven and a half by Kent. Go to the clay bird course. Go to sporting clay course. Get right so that you can knock more birds down with that bismuth this duck season. That's Good awesome. You. What's your secret? All about <laughs> location, bud. <laughs> location. That's it. And herring, right? Blue back herring in the right spot. Good electronics on your boat. Drop the bait down and have it strip your line. <laughs> Packing dips and ripping lips, bud. That's what we yeah. were doing today. That's right. That's what's up. Well, good for you. Uh, also, congratulations on Miss Delta. Yeah. Qualified all age. 
Hey, she got her hunt retriever champions out of this weekend, bud. Oh, that's big stuff. <laughs> so it's pretty cool, though. We're pretty pleased with that to have a hunt retriever champion, master hunter, and QAA, and yeah, just right at three. So yeah, that's a nice dog, man. From a younger age, you could tell that she had what it takes. Yeah, but I tell you the truth, until she was about sixteen months old, I didn't like her. Yeah, but sixteen months is young. Right. I know. I guess that's, that's what I mean. Goes, goes to show you that sometimes I think we look at the dog at 12 months, 14 months, 16 months and think, I don't know if this is quite what I want. And then all of a sudden, man, it just, it, it blossoms. And what did you what she not did. Like she didn't her. love birds. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. She just didn't, didn't have a real hunger and drive for birds. And um, all of a sudden that changed, man. And, you know, she's, Doing really good. Hope to maybe, uh, you know, late fall, maybe dabble in the opens with her. That would be so big, big D of you. What what do you think changed in her to make her want birds and have that kind of like switch flip? I don't know, man. That's a great question. I don't know. Um, She didn't hate them. She'd go get them. But there wasn't, you know, when she goes for a bird, when I when I saw that flip, that switch flip in her, it went from, you know, run out there pretty good and go get it to all of a sudden I'm going to run through whatever it is to get it. And, you know, everything she does is fast and hard. Um, and for a really, really fast, crazy, kind of wild dog, she's as compliant in the field as any of our dogs um, tries to do the right thing, you know, pretty sensitive dog doesn't want to get in trouble. And uh, I think, I don't know. I think just the, the dog inside her finally uh, awoke to birds. Yeah. I think they all have that predator desire. You know, there's their dogs or animals. They all have that predator, you know, want to eat something, want to kill something mentality. And, you know, Maybe she slept on Bree's bed too much at night and, you know, finally riding around in the trailer and, you know, being a dog more. I don't know. I'm yeah. joking about the sleeping in the bed part, but. Well, you know, I don't think I'm with you. I don't think it really matters, but I do think maturing and just the sheer fact of more birds, all of a sudden a flip, a switch flipped. You did the same thing. A switch flipped, yeah, you know, where it's just like, I, all I want is that thing. Well, you know. You remember a couple winters ago, well, it's been three or four winters ago when Mabel Jane was first coming up or golden. She didn't like birds. You know, and all I mean, you saw me out there forcing her birds out in the field on marks. Yeah. And all of a sudden that you know changed in her about, you know, 16, 18 months old. And you know, you just have to let them grow up sometimes and not get impatient. And that's kind of what we've done. So Let's talk a little bit about your field trial experience. I think it's going to lend a hand into our our conversation in a little while about what's going on with the AKC and Master National. But last summer on the Lone D trailer, we went to several queues and had a lot of fun. A lot of fun. But it's still very new to me. And you've dabbled in it longer than I have, you know, with like Gracie, your old dog. And, you know, back in the day with Josh and Joe and those guys riding around going to them. And 
Um, but it's eluded you. You've gotten placements, you've gotten jams, but that first or second has eluded you. And what have you learned in the last maybe year or two that has kind of tweaked what you're working on daily, unless you're fishing? Uh, <laughs> what is what is tweaked a little bit in your mind frame when you're when you're going out to train for these guys? I don't know if I've tweaked much in the actual training other than I'm doing it every day with them. And I think that was a part, that was a problem in years past was we were too concerned with, oh, we've got a master test in two weeks. We've got to start throwing master setups. Oh, we've got an HRC test. We need to start doing this. Let's shoot and gun over them. And I think I finally just determined that, you know what? It doesn't really matter what they're going to run next week. And if they'll go pick up that Longbird at 350, they'll probably go pick up the Master Mark at 125. And I didn't, you know, haven't seen any negative results in Master Test when running these same dogs um, with overrunning birds or being too jacked. You know, Delta, for instance, she gets far more jacked in a field trial than she does at a hunt test. She'll get a little vocal on the line, a little whiny, a little pitter-patter with the feet. She doesn't do that at a hunt test at all, which is the opposite of what you would think. Yeah, that's um, definitely the opposite of what I've seen. And so, you know, I don't I don't know. I've hung out with people and I've talked to a lot of people and maybe I'm tweaking my setups a little bit better. Maybe I'm putting birds in better places in training the last, you know, I think the last couple of years. Um and making it harder in training where I'm not winning every day in training and putting dogs in position, you know, I have to find birds in training and not just go get them every time and, you know, get to these trials and, you know, we're not hunting marks very much anymore. Um, you know, we're not having that big gun hunt. We're not backsiding the gun. We're not, you know, blowing it at the end of a land blind. I've just been real, I don't know, just determined. I mean, you know, we both have, you know, we're yeah. determined to do better at this. And I've run more field trials this year than I have hunt tests, I think. And, you know, back in the day, we were kind of glad to get to the third or get to the fourth. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. We made it to the fourth. We didn't pick it up, but we made it to the fourth. Right. You know, that was, that was big stuff. And, um, I don't think, out of the last six or seven trials we've run, I think we've finished multiple dogs in every one. And that's, that's been exciting. And, you know, I'm still happy with finishing a trial because it's so hard to finish them. Right. And you talk to, you know, I'll hang out with the other, you know, quote unquote, real field trial pros at these trials. And, you know, they're, they're happy to finish them too. It's not, you know, a disappointment to get a fourth. You did, you know, you did something. You may be hunting a bird three seconds longer than the other three. Um, you can't, I don't know, you can't get down on that. And you know, we've worked a little bit harder on it. That's what we've done. And um, we've, take, we, you know, we've, we've got a crew of dogs. That that's all they do every day. They don't, we don't dumb things down. We don't run hunt test scenarios with them. We don't run hunt test blinds with them. We make them do big stuff every day. And, you know, I guess, roll the dice and hope for the best come hunt test day when we, you know, with those ones that do run hunt tests as well. Yeah. That's kind of, so that's a great segue into a, a question that we got in from our Patreon members. Um, 
I guess I could quote it real quick if you give me a second. But it's it, along the lines of, oh, shoot, here we go. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you what I'm doing because I've got a master test this week, right? Uh, Richard Shockley would love to hear y'all's view on, oh, we're going to talk about this one too. Sorry. That's in the future though, Richard. Do, 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 do. Cool. What does the week before a master test look like for both of you? Can I go first? Because I'm living it right this minute. So Blaine made a comment, you know, five minutes ago where he is focusing on the field trial game, which is white coats in the field, retired guns, multiple throwers in the field, multiple bird boy, bird women in the field. Big stuff, big, long runs, big, long water entries, tough stuff. I do the same, but this week I've got a master test and I have several dogs that when the marks are 250, 350, they don't move a muscle, but I've ran them enough in master tests to know that they, when they see a 20, 20 yard walk up bird and a 60 yard flyer, they do semi come unglued. Now they pass. But to my standards, that's unacceptable. And so even though for the last two weeks, most of what they've seen, three weeks, month, whatever it is, I mean, most of my spring and early summer has been all field trial stuff. The week before the master test, I'm starting to bring things in, shorten things up. And it's not because I'm I'm afraid of them overrunning it. I want to see movement at the line and pick them up and put them in a holding blind and get their line manners right. I want to get their head right for things that are going to be really up close. And that's where my brain is at. And so Blaine, I'd like your opinion on that because that's kind of how you used to do it, I guess, is what you were saying. I'm just worried that if I don't tackle up close and personal, I may not be able to get a correction in here or there and show them the way I want it done when it's real close because they aren't showing me that when the guns are out far. Yeah. I mean, that's, I just quit. I quit doing that, I guess, before master test um, with those dogs. Now I've got other dogs that aren't ever going to sniff a field trial. Um, and I've got Boykins that, that aren't going to run a field trial. And so, you know, them and some of those labs, you know, don't do well in those in the field trial settings in, in training. And, you know, they get down in the dumps. So we're going to, you know, Bree may take those dogs and run them on, you know, her marks uh, with her dogs. Um, but those particular dogs that I'm running, we're not changing anything. Um, you know, they're high strung in the field trial and high strung at the hunt test. They're not moving forward. They're not doing anything wrong. And so, we just we haven't we haven't changed much up on that um you know we might we might not put out guys in white coats a couple times maybe that week we might throw some hidden marks you know have a guy pop out from behind a tree and throw a bird something like that run a poison bird you know more often but um maybe you know mainly just for control purposes right but we haven't 
you know, in the last year d- done much differently before a hunt test. Uh, throwing birds and running blinds. Yeah. Okay. So, don't I mean, know if that I, helps, but I don't, you know, I think I've just found that I don't, maybe I don't have time to do both, you know, so I want well, to concentrate on what I want to concentrate on. And so that has not hindered me in the hunt test that we've run. And I've worked, we've run a field trial on Friday, Saturday, and then turn around and run a midweek on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and never went home. So went straight from a field trial into a master test, right back into a field trial the next weekend with some of the same dogs. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't years. think any of those dogs that did that failed the master test. Probably so, not because they're trained well. I, you know, and maybe I shouldn't even, this whole discussion is like enlightening to me. Maybe I just keep training them to the best of my ability, to the best of their ability, push them, and then let the cards fall where they fall. Well, let, let's talk about it for a minute. Let me ask you this question. This is kind of like we're in Marco Polo now. We're talking. Yeah, this feels good. Um, so you run white coats, white coats, white coats for three weeks, for a month. We got a master, you got a master test this weekend. We're going to break things down and bring it in a little bit. We're going to try to get a little movement on the line. You know, today's what, Tuesday. You're going to try to get a little movement on the line tomorrow. So you haven't had movement on the line for a month. You're going to try to create movement today. And my question is, is that going to affect them Saturday? You know, creating movement once or twice this week, are you going to change their minds in one or two sessions? Maybe. I'm not saying you won't. All right. It's a great question. Great discussion. Um, what I found. You definitely won't if you don't do those two. Follow me. Potentially, but I don't, you know, will it change it? I don't know. Um, so yeah, here's what like, I got. Here's, here's yeah, what it's I like got. The guy, there's a guy at the master test this past weekend who, you know, got there a little bit later than everybody else. Dog was a little bit wet. Knew he had to run a down the shore water blind that morning. Went out and ran a down the shore water blind before he got there. Did that change what that dog was going to do at the hunt test? Probably not. Probably not. Now that's morning of one thing, you know, you hear guys, you know, getting on them in the, you know, we're going to go to church before we go to the hunt test on Sunday mornings. Cause we're going to try to get a little, you know, work on line manners. I used to do that. That, that dog usually crept out or broke <laughs> no matter what. Right. Um, you know, I don't know. So not saying what you, what you just said is wrong. I just, just, so here's what I ended up seeing today. I had no movement at the line. Right. But what I did have is three gunners in the field, a little bit of head swinging. Right. So I worked on that, which I would err on the side of I don't deal with head swinging much. I've been lucky, knock on wood. Um, but they three of them did. So that was something that I worked on. The second thing is a f- three dogs repeatedly got pulled off of line and back in the holding blind, grab another dog for forging ahead of me, healing up to the line. So upholding my standard on holding blind to line, line to the birds and the blinds, they just, because I know what they're going to do this weekend. I know that the bad mamma jamma hunter who 
literally can make it look flawlessly easy or go down in a hell of gunfire because right. of his excitement and drive. I mean, it's, it's not, I don't, he, he doesn't need to pick up a mark for a month. He's going to go step on every one of those marks and he could damn near line the blind. But if I need to stop him and cast him when he's, you know what I'm saying? So it was like yeah. control. So I'm just yeah. saying, Hey bud, you, you've took one step ahead of me, swat in the chest with the healing stick, put him back in the holding blind, grab another dog. By his third walk up to the line, it was like gold. And I do that when we're doing the field trial stuff to some degree, but I, I, and this is bad. So everybody listen to what I'm saying. I'm sort of focused on them doing the field trial setup the way I want it done and how it should be done and make sure that they see things and, you know, look at this one. Good. Okay. Pull with me. Look at this one. Good. You know, I'm, I'm, working on mechanics of how to run a field trial that I'm not sweating holding blind to the line as much. And so well, let me ask you a question about that. So is, well, I know Hunter, I mean, yep. I know most of your dogs, the ones you run in master tests and trials and I know Hunter well, you know, he can be a jerk, you know, for lack of, you know, there's better words we could use, but maybe not on the low D podcast. Um, you know, he gets a little rambunctious, gets a little self-employed out in the field, but you're talking about walking to the whole, walking to the line. Does he know in train? Does he walk different in training in a field trial setup? I, he may, I don't know. Uh, yeah, actually he does because he's looking out there at the, so he, yeah, it, it's like he's drinking it all in at a distance when right. he sees uh, a holding blind and Krista standing 20 yards away. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. baby, I got you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and so I just took the opportunity to say, Nope, you're going back in the holding blind and literally took a healing stick and swat him across the chest for being out in front of me and put him back in the holding blind. And at the third attempt, he walked like he had, it was a dream and he, he was perfectly still. And he usually is. Didn't ha he didn't head swing at all. He was locked in, boop, 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 hammered every mark and hammered the blind. Cool. So, you know, I just, I, so I did the same with Quinn. Quinn took one step ahead of me, pop. Um, Another dog named Ace. I think he met Ace a long time ago when he was young. He's at the master level now. He's bad to the bone, dude. He is, I'm very excited about Ace. But if I feel like if I let Ace slide, his extreme drive would get the best of him come. Actually, you did meet Ace. Remember I had to run out into the master test and go catch his ass. Yeah. I, I we all have to do it. <laughs> yeah. We've someone's had to do it here. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just, that was the mechanics that I did for the hunt test set up today, really focusing on making the little things right. And, and I should focus on that every single day. Um, and I feel like when I'm doing the big dog setup. I'm thinking how, you know, okay, if they do this, what should I do? If they do that, if they fade with that factor, what should I do? And so I'm less thinking about that perfect heel because I fully expect every one of my master dogs to go out and pick up a triple and run a blind. That's, you know, I gotcha. so, but I do. All right. So to answer this gentleman's question, <laughs> sorry, bud, we just went on our own little rant to answer your question. The week before 
I'm looking at obedience. I'm looking at my line manners. I'm looking at my holding blind manners. I'm even two weeks before those are things that you want to make sure are tight and right. I want to make sure and be very honest with myself about how many times I've got to push that button on a blind, right? Tweet. He's not sitting quick enough. Tweet, Nick tweet. Oh, he sat great. And he crushes the blind, but you had to push the button seven times to get him to sit. Well, what do you think when the button's not there and he's super jacked at being a hunt test? You're probably going to wish you had the button. <clears throat> so, you know, make sure that you're well prepared on all the things that they're going to see. Keyholes, down the shores, swim past a point, get on a point, get off a point. I think this year we're going to see a big um, uptick on bridge marks. That seems to be a theme lately. Uh, I feel like every year judges get themed whether they know it or not. And bridge marks are becoming a thing. And a bridge mark is where the bird thrower is on land, throws a bird over a piece of water and it lands on another piece of land. And so the arc of that bird, the arc of the mark resembles a bridge, right? And a lot of dogs will continue swimming right past it. Other dogs will swim and go get it. Just or fine. they'll they'll get on the piece of land the bird was thrown from and hunt it. Yeah. If it's if it's an angle back bridge bird, that's I mean that's a hard bird to get. Yep, you're right. And they'll swim towards I've the gun. And dogs hunt hunt. We can throw a bunch of bridge birds on our pond, and we do, and it doesn't seem to help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did one today, and yeah. um, we're seeing a lot of poison bird blinds this year down south. Oh, cool. Um, Oh, that's another that thing I'll do a good bit of the week yeah. of just for control. Just for yeah, control. we've seen several of them um, in the last few tests. So uh, who knows? And just for anyone who doesn't know what a poison bird is, the dog sees a mark go down. You tell them no, run a blind, then pick up the mark or a, of some sort of fashion. There's three birds that go down for a triple. Go pick up the go bird, come back, run a blind, then pick up your your last two birds, stuff like that. That, that would be. We've had a couple bird. diversion birds thrown this year too on the way back from the go bird, which now puts you know three more birds, you know another bird in the field, kind of like an interrupted quad almost. I had one of those too. I forget where and I so, was. Maryland. You know, there's been Virginia. talk about more diversion birds being thrown. There was a, a rule change proposal on that, but I don't think it got passed, but some judges are, you know, they're doing, and that's a, an HRC thing. Typically it's in HRC. It happens at a different time, but in the master tests I've run, the two I've seen in the last couple of months have been on the way back from the go bird. A bird is thrown kind of, you know, not in their face, but on the line back from the go bird. Yeah. We're just commiserating. Kevin's going to ask another Patreon question that'll segue into some of the new rules and proposed rules for the MN, the Master National. Um, I want, I'm want i going to be completely honest, and I hope you are going to be too, about this proposal. Um, Kevin's going to read the question. Let's give a, I'll let you do it, just because you're our guest and it's your show. Give a two-minute rundown of what the proposal is basically and then we'll give our honest opinion of what we think master national slash akc should you know wh what we think of it 
Maybe not what they should do, but what we think of this proposal. So this goes back to the Richard Shockley question. Would love to hear your opinion on the newly proposed changes to Master National. So first, can we go through what those proposed changes are? And then what our thoughts are. We think. Yeah. Well, and, and let's keep in mind the word proposed. I think a lot of people... Is it proposed or is it like, no, we're doing this? Proposed. No, it's it's just a proposal. It has not been voted on yet. Okay. All right. So it is a proposal. And the proposal is, and this is in, as it has been presented to us, and I did get to speak with um, our Master National President this past week in length um, several times um, via email, but in person also. And um, he was very helpful in, in the understanding of what's going on. But, um, you know, the, the increase in number of dogs at the Master Nationals is getting, it's, it's big. It's a big event. Um, and I think, you know, all organizations want to grow and do better. And it's grown and, and doing great as far as numbers are concerned. The problem is there's not a lot of venues across the country that can hold 1,500 dogs. Um, and, and and I'll stop you right there. It's not just 1500 dogs, it's vehicles, it's hotel rooms, it's restaurants, the whole infrastructure of a, of a, you know, an area where most of these things happen in rural areas. Right. And so, you know, it's a problem in numbers. And so there were proposals last year that got shot down and they came up with a new proposal this year. And they being, and I just, we'll just go ahead and be blunt with it. AKC pretty much mandated the Master National to come up with a proposal. Yeah. And this or it's is, not going to happen anymore. You know, you if have it to doesn't change, change, it's over. It's over. And so the board of, you know, the Master National Board, um, and I'm speaking freely from what, the master national president spoke to us and said, you can tell this to anybody you want. Um, do you think he thought it was going to be on a podcast? A, <laughs> you what? Do you think he thought it'd be on a podcast? Oh, he wants it to be. Okay, good. Yeah. Send he it. wants it to be. Call him um, up. He has no voting privileges on the board. The master national president doesn't vote unless there's a tie. And so I think there's six board members. And so unless it's three to three, he doesn't get a vote. Anyway, they came up with a proposal that stated you will have to get a certain amount of passes. That number of passes has not been designated yet, whether it's five, six, four, whatever. Let's just say it's six as it is currently. Mm-hmm. You get your six passes to qualify, but that qualifies you to run a three to four series qualifying event in which you have we to pass not. to then go to the master nationals. Mm-hmm. And so there'll be several regional qualifying events throughout a certain time frame, but your dog can only run one of those. So it's one and done, baby. You pass it, you're in the Master Nationals. You don't, then those six passes that you accrued during the year were all for nothing. You don't get to go to the big dance. And so that's the proposal. They wanted. They also proposed to to use pheasants again uh, on the land tests. 
there were a couple other small things in there too, but the big deal was you're qualifying for a qualifying event and hope your dog doesn't have a bad day that day. You know, and that's, and I don't know if you want to go into what we think, but yeah, you know, Keith Moretti, the president of Master National, he was gracious enough at a master test last week to invite all the professional handlers there. And it was mainly professional handlers because it was a midweek test to sit down with him after the first day of testing that evening. And let's talk about it. You know, you know, they, the master national gave their proposal, but they need to hear other proposals. And so we proposed some things, um, you know, we propose going into, you know, going towards a regional master national where there's a East coast and a West coast master national. Um, I think the majority in, in the group that was there and it was about, I would say 15 to 20 uh, pro handlers there that evening, you know, we kind of all went towards uh, a deal that with would be better. two regionals. Sorry to interrupt you, but my opinion is, that's the lesser of two evils still doesn't like it takes the nostalgia. It takes the excitement to see those West coast friends that we've made. And, you know, maybe Oklahoma buddy is West coast and I don't know my geography well enough, but Missouri, you know, we get to see them, you know, you, you do the national makes it super cool because there's going to be people from Alaska and California and Washington state and Oregon all coming together in Georgia this year to compete. And it's a big, Oh yeah. Badass yeah. event. But, but like you said, it's a much lesser of two evils in my, my mind. Yeah. They're doing a regional, you know? And so we also mm-hmm. propose no pheasants. Um, yeah. Another pheasants problem that, you what? Pheasants are a pain, man. Oh, I know. They're, they're, you can't predict those suckers just come out like a rocket. Um, and you get one that's 30 and one that's 70, and you you can't find them. And, and I also so don't think it's economical because they don't last as long. Right. So and more so money on birds. We voted down the pheasant idea. And an, one of the proposals last year that came with the regional um, East and West Coast National was a limit to the number of dogs you could bring. Right. And so that was the big hiccup. That's why it was voted down last year was because of the number. It wasn't because of the regional. You know, we didn't love that, but we loved even less the fact that you you were going to say, oh, you're going to bring six dogs right, or four dogs, whatever the number would have been. And so, you know, our proposal was regionals, no limit on dogs and no pheasants. So break it down. They're expecting 1250 to 1350 in Thomasville this year. That's the number that they're they're leaning on right now. We don't, you know, and a lot of us think that the East Coast has a lot more dogs than the West Coast. Well, it's not a lot more. There is more, but it's not a lot more, according to the numbers from the AKC and the Master Nationals. So put 600 to 650 to 700 dogs in each Master National in a regional event, and you've got a very doable event. There's a ton of places you can do that. A ton more than you can do 1,500 dogs. It's a doable event. You don't have to limit the numbers on the dogs for a handler. And you go to work. Do we miss seeing our, you know, 
our Washington State buddy Blake. Yeah, we don't get to see him. Yeah. Um, I'd rather not see Blake, no offense, than have to qualify for the for the Master Nationals after qualifying already. Yeah. And so, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah, that's a fair, good explanation fair and fair assessment. And, and I'll say this before you start. I don't want anybody to think I'm throwing Keith Moretti under the bus to Master National President. He is a 100% advocate for what we're thinking and saying. And um, a good dude. You what? And a good dude. And he is. He's a good dude. He's a he was a he's he is and was a a very successful businessman. He understands how to run organizations. He understands talking to people and finding out what they're thinking and not just guessing what people are thinking. And he's talked to hundreds and hundreds of people since that email was sent. And has he asked us, you know, what do you think the total number of amateurs that I've talked to like this event? And he put out his hand like this and he said, zero. I've not talked to one person, amateur or pro, that liked the proposed change. And so he wants to get down to the bottom of it and find out where did AKC or where did these board members come up with pros and amateurs that they said the majority wanted this change. And so that's the dilemma we're in. Hey, it's not only the food that fuels the truck of Lone Duck, but we also worry about that gut health. Sometimes the dogs get a little bit of rumbling in the tummies, and I like to help them out get all balanced with this product that Purina provides called Fortiflora. Basically a probiotic, and you sprinkle a little bit of these pouches on the dog's food. So, for instance, if I'm driving to a hunt test and they're rattling around on the trailer, and you know sometimes their stomachs can get a little upset from stress, movement anything that four to floor can really help balance them out get them back to feeling good and get ready to run so check it out it's purina's four to flora boom so i'm going to make a couple points here that are my opinion nobody else's one and this is totally separate discussion but i'm stating it to the world who listens to this show And Blaine said it a few different times during his discussion, pros versus amateurs and opinions of each. Listen, one of my biggest pet peeves, and I will lose my patience over it, is that pro versus an amateur. The the amount of people in our local little retriever community and and when I say little, I mean, okay, from New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, all these, Alabama, all these places that I travel to to run hunt tests, there's always someone chirping about pros and amateurs. We all got into this, whether I do it for a living and you don't, or you do it for a living and I don't. We all got into it because of a dog that we cared about and we got into the game to do it. So we all need to forget this pro versus amateur mentality. And it's literally, for some people, it's a versus. It's point the finger at the other group that they're screwing it up. And typically it's pointed at us. It just is. So if you don't if you don't know that everybody everyone looks at us like we're a problem because we show up with 10 12 dogs and go run a test and we book up the hunt test and this and that's like no the the people who want to do this are paying us to do it and we just happen to make a living at it and but we got into it just like you are 
And it's not a us versus you and you versus pros and this and that. Like if I could do one thing via this podcast is, is knock that BS off because we all do it because we enjoy it. And we all do it to be with our dogs and be with our friends on a weekend to go run a hunt test. So let's knock that off. So it shouldn't be a pro versus amateur debate on whether master national new idea is good or bad, but here's my, so, so there's that. That's one point that I'm just going to make and be done with. The second thing is I do see this as a potential money grab from AKC, but I don't think that's why they're doing it. I don't think they're looking at numbers and crunching economics and going, Hmm, we can make an extra hundred thousand dollars. If we add this qualifying regional, they probably will. But I think what they're trying to do is not dilute the actual event. So in years past, the event has like when we were in Idaho, I think we had to do four series because we just ran out of time. Tests took too long. Setups took too long. Uh, or excuse me, setting up took too long. X, Y, Z happened. And all of a sudden we could only get four series done instead of six. Well, if you was pass, that also COVID time when that like, was people COVID were getting time. sick and it was kind of like hard to find judges. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We actually had, I think we had to postpone a day or two because of it. So long story short, AKC, because Master National is a separate club. Right. Master National and AKC are not one and the same. Master National is a club that the AKC allows. So the AKC can come in and go, done. And Master National is done. Right. So the AKC has been a, been a... I, I'm going to use the term dark cloud, but they're hovering over the master national going, you guys got to get your shit together because we can't water down tests. We can't make it easier for dogs to be here. It needs to be a challenge. It needs to be to the standard and these dogs don't meet or exceed the standard. They're out. So what they're trying to, what I think, yes, is it a money grab? Yeah, they're going to make more money, but I think they don't want to see the tests and the master national get watered down because of lack of planning and poor time management result in easier earning of the plate. Hey, was our third and fourth series in Idaho watered down? Dude, Hell none of them no. were. None of them were. Oh, well, no. We only had four compared to six. So if we had to do yep. two more, we might have lost one or two more dogs. Well, no, they were under, you know, you can't. I mean, I would have, but I get it. Well, and you can't continue to up the standard because dogs are getting better. The standard's standard. Well, the I dogs get better. You. Okay. You can't up the standard. You can make the test more difficult. That, okay. That can't change the standard. Right. Sure. So maybe that's a nuance in wordplay. Right. I do think they can make the test more difficult. But like that also to me, like, don't make it tricky and have it be like uh, everybody, bro. Bullshit. Right. Uh, so okay. I, I don't know, man. But so again, here's my opinion. I think if we have to make changes, if we have to, or Master National is done, then what you, you and them all talked about with Keith, where we, okay, we just split it in half. The country is now in half. There's an East Coast and a West Coast. It's on the same weekend in the fall. There's that. 
and, and, and we'd be done with it. It's six series. It's, I think they should make it harder. Um, standards should still be the same, but I think tests can be harder um, to weed them out. But this whole, so now let's break down if this proposal goes through. I feel relatively comfortable in saying that I probably wouldn't be running Master National anymore. Mm-hmm. No, not saying not saying never, but for me to ask my clients to spend that kind of money to qualify, then go to a regional, and that costs a lot more money to enter and a lot more time away from family and friends and holidays and ba- birthdays and be gone from family. Well, and then your dog being gone from you more. Yep. So there's, yeah, I mean, it's just going to cost everyone way more money to keep playing this game if they do it this way. And it's not just the entry fee and that event, which will still be substantial financially for people to send dogs with people. But it just, for us personally, it's like, so if we're going to a regional, let's say the regional this year is in Virginia. Okay. How far is Virginia from you in Georgia? Eight hours? Six to 10 hours, depending on where you're going. Yeah. I mean, it's a trip. Same here. So now I've got a plan in June, a a few days to pre-train probably because we want to go win. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to go pre-train for five days. Then we're going to run the test for five days. Yep. Travel home for a few days. Yeah. And then travel home. Then there, then, oh, the master, you know, that year you qualified, congratulations. Now we've got to go to Louisiana. So now I took a two week trip away from family, friends, my business, and a bunch of other dogs to take eight or 12 or 22, whatever. I mean, cause everybody's different. You know, you got the Steven Jarrens yeah. and the Lyles and Jobmans and Akins who've got 25 dogs that go, but me and you've got eight to 12. Right. And we've got to right. not be gone from the rest of our business for realistically master national. We're on the road for three weeks. Yeah. It's minimum. Ten, minimum. 10 day event, a week pre-training and two days of travel home. To me, it just doesn't seem worth it. And I don't want to belittle this because I cried when Ember got master national plate. You were there. You were right behind me. So it meant it means and meant a lot to me. It means a little less now with all the hoops we're going to have to jump through to just go up on top of all the hoops we already have to jump through to go. Right. No, it's just, yeah, 100% with you. And I can say I'm 99.9% telling you I won't go. Yeah. Uh, not a hundred percent. And if it's, if it lines up yeah. where like the regionals fun place to go and easy and the master nationals fun place to go and easy. Okay. I might go that year, but I figure, okay, we'll make master dogs. So five or six passes and they go home with a master title and their owners are happy as a pig and shit. And if they want to go do it, Hey man, go for it. Or they can go to the master amateur and kick butt exactly. there. I'd like to run more field trials. So make a master dog and run field trials and build duck dogs for people that, that, that probably will be where a lot of folks go instead of chasing this pewter plate and accolade to have 
10 master national plates. No, I don't need that. And now if my client says they want it, great. I just trained your dog to a badass level. You can go. And then when they go, oh, it's going to cost me uh, $1,500 in hotel fees and $500 entry fee, and I've got to take two weeks off of work, they're going to go, not worth it. Right. Because that's what it is, folks. I mean, it's not $1,500. is probably on the low end. Dude, that's for if you're going to be gone and on the road for three weeks. Yeah, way low end. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they will get kicked in the butt. And not in a good way. So I hope yep. they, I hope they hear, I hope they listen and I hope they tweak and don't go through with the proposal. All right. I'm going to hit the head. Kevin, you ask a Patreon question to Blaine and I'll be right back. Lay it on me, Kev. Yeah, buddy. It's my show anyway. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I just don't get the royalties. I don't either. Um, this one's interesting. So uh, Rocco asks, what sort of factors and scenarios should he expect on watermarks and water blinds at a senior hunt test? At senior hunt test. Okay. Um, good question. Typically on a senior level hunting test, your blinds should not be influenced by your marks. That is not always the case, though, Rocco, and it a lot depends on the body of water that the club has uh, use for in the in the senior level. And so sometimes the water is not big enough to separate them enough where the marks aren't influencing the blind. And so I want my dog to be pretty comfortable running a water blind, you know, behind the gun uh, of a mark. You shouldn't have to too much, but you're going to inevitably have to do that. And there's always going to be the influence of those marks on your blind, whether it, it it's supposed to be or not supposed to be. Um, but you can see, you know, good down the shore water blinds in a senior test. You're going to see, you know, cross a point on a water blind in a senior test. You may not see them as you're not going to see them as difficult as the master test, but because of the the factor of the water not always being the best water for the senior level at the hunt test, the, the judges you know are handcuffed in separating the blinds from the marks um, all the way. So um, be prepared for that when you're running the water blind in the senior test. As far as the marks go, you know, I'm not sure how tight the marks can be in a senior test. I don't think there's really a rule to that. Um, you know, you're going to see your typical hip pockets. You're going to see your two down the shores. You're going to see, no, you know, no, you, in you know, gonna see, you're not going to see, you're not going to see a two down the shore. Hard. No, mm -mm. they'll be more spread out. Yeah. Well, they will be more spread out and kind of to segue back to what we were talking about before you got back. It depends on the body of water they have, you know, sure. sometimes they, sometimes the senior judges are handed the, the shit water. You know, the master's got the good water and they're kind of handcuffed into doing things a little tighter than they would like to. Um, but I would tell Rocco to be prepared for short marks, breaking type marks in the few that I've seen. I don't hardly ever run a senior test, but I've seen them and I hear the stories um, and there are a lot of up close, personal, in your face kind of stuff in a senior test. Yeah, it's a big jump from junior. 
right? right. So everybody thinks that their dog got done with junior and can run a half-ass water blind and a half-ass land blind and can do a half-ass double. They're ready for senior. Right. Like I said before, with the, the master test setup where it's like, oh, I had to push the button seven times to finish that blind. You don't have that button on the e-collar to to get the dog to do it right and, and to show them the right way to do it and so they're going to be looser um typically the blinds are outside of the marks and should not be influenced by the marks but if you have not practiced running blinds with marks out in the field you bet your bottom dollar it's going to be hard to line the dog up for a blind when they're right. at a holding blind you know, in their peripheral yeah. vision, no here, no here, no here, that, that, a thousand times. A hundred percent. Because even if the the blind isn't right backside of that holding blind, that dog can still see it. Mm -hmm. That dog just went there to get a mark. Yep. Knows it's there. It's a it's same thing in seasoned in HRC. They can run the blind the other direction. They're still looking back like, hey, wait a minute. You know, there were marks over there. And so definitely. So master level and and then you don't have to worry as much about it you just switched to your truck i did that's okay but we're good now okay your your phone's pl plugged in and charging yes sir all right cool um we had another good question and i like this one this is a very like stylish kind of a question say who said it Carlos asked, uh, can you talk about using your hands on blinds? He's getting some mixed messages from different pros, their thoughts, especially on blinds. So is the hand used for a target and agreement kind of an affirmation or used to help the dog aim curious on how both of you see it? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I uh -huh. think like a Mike Stewart where he like gets down. Are you, and starting, his... are you talking about putting your hand down in front of the dog when you're sending it or your hand yes. signal? Okay, uh, sending, sending the dog. It. Okay. What do you do, Blaine? I I say sit, sit, sit until the dog's looking where I want them to look. When the dog is looking where I want them to look, my hand is going to come down just above their eyes, not down on their nose, but above their head, and it's going to stay there for a, it's it it is not a cue to leave at this point, but it is a cue of that's where I want you to look, buddy. And then I'm going to say back, but I'm not pushing my hand forward. I'm not putting it down in front of their nose. It's simply above. If you can picture, you know, their, their forehead and maybe my fingertips are right above their eyes, but it's down there um, waiting on me to say the word back. And, and, but it's a more of a cue of you're looking where I want you to look, buddy. So it, is there a reason why you specifically don't stick your hand in front of their face or arm or whatever, like this, uh, Carlos? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Because I feel like it causes distraction, and I've watched people that come and day train and they do that, and you know they're sticking their arm way out in front of the dog, and the dog's looking. Typically, if they stick it on the right side, the dog's looking now to the left, and it's kind of moving off of that line that they were looking at. And it's, it's just a distraction and it's, it's pushing or pulling that dog a different way and it's making that head move. And now, you know, you're causing more confusion on where we're going. And so I don't want it to be a distraction. I don't want my, you know, I'm not karate chopping them. You see the karate chops and <laughs> um, I'm not doing that. So Carlos, yeah, either don't use your hand or just put it above their head. 
in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, where was I going? Oh, damn. Would you say it's more of like an English type of thing to do that? No, no? it's just knuckleheads. I think it's just, I think it's just dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So one thing that I, I will add to this while my, my brain gets collected on where I wanted to go with it, but you'll see a dog. Let's, let's everybody close their eyes unless you're driving. Dogs looking to the left and Johnny dog handler is using his arm and forearm to point the dog straight or to the right. Like as if the dog is just magically going to look down his forearm and aim much better. Nice. Blaine's popping a cork to the Eagle rare at a boy. Um, so they don't, that, that ain't how it works. Tail, spine, head pointed in the direction you want them to go. Good right there, back. So you have to have a cue, which Blaine was saying. Most of what he s- says is sit. When you are thinking about sitting, your head's not looking to the left or to the right. It's looking straight ahead. I agree. I might do a little no here. You know, if they're looking to the left, no here. That's going to pull them a little to the right. Good right there. Good. When they're locked in, I do the same as Blaine. I put my hand down. That's the cue of don't move your head anymore. You're locked in. Go straight back so it's it's kind of like the hand coming down over the dog is like locking them in that you are looking where i want you to look don't look anywhere else back any other hand movement throw it out the window blaine's making a hand motion up and down as if he's doing something uh i agree it means nothing to the dog so don't add more confusion to the dog, the need. Distraction, yeah. And now it's a distraction. Now I'm going to say this. When I'm teaching a young one to run blinds and they're a little lacking confidence, I may not even put my hand down. Good, back. You know, here, good, good, back, boom. And they're just gone in the direction that get they're rolling. rolling. And get them rolling. The more with a younger dog you fiddle fart around at the line trying to get them perfect, the less confident they're going to be. And so for a little while, while they're figuring stuff out, I don't even integrate my hand. It just is what it is. Sometimes I add it. Sometimes I don't. If they're looking where I want them to go and I'm afraid that they're going to look off because they see my hand come down out of their peripheral vision, I'm not putting it down. It's a feel. But all my older dogs, that hand comes down over top. Good. Right there. Back. But it's not to the side. If they're looking to the left, I'm not pointing to the right to try and get them to swing and look at my forearm and hand. None of that. Knock it off. And anyone you heard do it different is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Good question, Carlos. All right, Kev, hit me with another. Anthony was curious about drills to build drive and desire in dogs with no desire. Oof. That's that's a tough one because it probably depends Double on the dog. Like deep, I might say we'll get you another dog. Uh, yeah, by the Pat Nolan uh, set. Yeah, Pat Nolan, last podcast guest. If you yeah. haven't listened to it, you need to. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, I don't man, know, man. That's a tough one. Live birds. You know, get birds. Yeah, that's live birds, and and you know, wait for, give them time, and see if it just clicks. Less obedience, less structure, less discipline, more fun. 
Yeah, yeah. Have no fun. Get get Uncle Bob to send you some of those uh, live pigeons. He's he's growing and and you know if a dog won't chase a live pigeon, I'm probably getting a new dog. I hate yeah. to say it. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're in a different boat because we can do that and have less emotion isn't the right word, but it's our business and. You know, if they don't hack it, uh, we may move on and find them a home for a family pet or whatever. But, um, you know, if this is your heart and joy and your dog and hashtag unspoken bond, I get it. But a lot of folks will do too much obedience and make it work. If you had to raise your hand and be like, man, I love getting up every day and going to work. If you're like, if that's you, God bless you. But most people don't like going to work. If you think about it like playing sports in middle school, high school, college, where it's like, man, I can't wait to go to the gym and work out with my buddies. I can't wait to go to practice and hang out and work hard with my buddies. If you think about it as a sport and a team for your dog, then you're going to do things with that dog to keep them excited and keep them interested and change things up. Go to different locations. Excuse me. If you're playing dink around in your backyard or front yard, they may be bored. They may be bored of the same old monotonous things you're doing with the dog. Like, oh, we're just coming out here and you're going to make me go on my Momar stand and throw me three from the hip and uh, and I'm going to go out and get it. And they're bored. Go to new locations, make it interesting, challenge them, less obedience, more play. Um, what else could help build some drive and enthusiasm? Blaine, come on, we got this. Come on. Is there anything specific you did with Delta? I, I know you uh, mentioned more, more marks uh, with birds. Not right. a thing. Yeah. I mean, we just, we just kept on birds. We kept on birds and it wasn't a, you know, we get this question a lot. Yeah. I think we talk about this all the time and I'm not belittling the question at all. Um, it's just hard to, to know everything we need to know about that dog. You right. know, does the dog just have zero drive to go fetch anything? You know, does it not want to chase a bird? Will it go get a bird, but it doesn't run very fast? Maybe it's just a slow-running dog. I'm not very fast runner, boys. There's <laughs> nothing you can do to make me faster. Um, I'm, I am what I am. I'm a five-foot-nothing kind of, you know, husky white kid. It's just not very fast. Some dogs aren't fast. Um, so if, it's a, if, if that's you know, the problem, then you just have to suck it up. You don't have a very fast dog. But if it's a total lack of wanting to go retrieve something, then, you know, that's a different equation. And we don't really know this dog sure. well enough to, to speak too much about it, but keep it fun, keep it birdie. The dogs that I spoke about that, you know, seem to flip a switch at a certain age didn't dislike retrieving, but didn't show that fire and that hunger that I would think, you know, this dog will, you know, run through that wall to go get a duck. You know, you see puppies come out like that, and then you see some that don't, but then all of a sudden the ones that don't, you know, that, you know, it awakens inside of them. So maybe the age of the dog would help. You know, is this a, a 18-week-old puppy that's sure. just acting like a goofy puppy? Sure. You know, there, there's a lot of variables that we don't know the answers to to really address it, but... Make I'll give fun. another piece of advice. Good, good point. It just spurred a thought to my head of how old this dog is and what its daily life is. 
one of the things that I noticed big time in the last couple of years with COVID was everybody worked from home. And so their dogs got free roam of the house and tons of extracurriculars that had nothing to do with retrieving. And so by the time they they retired, right. So they were mentally and physically and, and everything tired. And by the time, you know, five 30 rolls around and Hey, let's go train the dogs. Like shit, dude, I've been monkeying around all day. They don't have that same enthusiasm. Put that sucker in a crate for three days, let it out to poop and pee and eat. I'm dead serious. <laughs> I, I know it just, sounds, I'm dead serious. I'm not, I know it just sounded funnier than sure. You, <laughs> it goes out and it poops and pees. It goes in and eats and, and then come out three days later I wouldn't even feed it. Maybe it'll go eat the duck. And I bet you after three days of being in solitary confinement, it's going to come out and go, oh, yeah, chase that thing. Oh, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great thought because, you know, they get tired. They're just like, yeah, I've been playing all day. I don't want to play now. Yeah, I've been chewing on my Kong all day. Yeah. So put them up, let them, let them sit on it and do nothing for a few days. Also, you know, again, it might be a puppy. We don't have all the details, but birds, birds and birds, live pigeons, live ducks, um, less obedience, less structure, more fun. You need to be, I I would also say the dog is a reflection of you. Are you coming out going, Hey buddy, let's get, come on, let's go. Come on, bud. Hey, we're going to go have some fun. Hey, 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 come on. Or are you like, all right, sit fun bumper is eight feet away and not enthusiastic. And this is my voice and you can and go we're and studying it and we're studying yeah. it and blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden the dog's like, this dude sucks. This sucks. I want to go chew on a <laughs> stick in the corner in the shade. So you need to be extremely animated and excited to get this dog to break through to the next level. And, and to whoever it was that asked that question, Buddy, if you know, email me or Bob with more details about your puppy because I don't want to sound like we're you know belittling you or just no, you know, it's a, it's you know, a common question, yeah. yeah, it is. And so, maybe send us a message with more details about your pup, what it's doing, yeah. where it is, and training, how old it is, and maybe we can help you, yeah. Absolutely. Well, he is a Patreon member, so Kevin, maybe shoot him a, a DM on there and just say we need more info, but. We will reviewed a bunch of it on the podcast and, you know, have it help. So um, if, if just a segue, if you're enjoying the show and these Q and A's and getting our advice, Blaine has a Patreon. It's called Brown Dog Academy. He is the Boykin whisperer, but he doesn't just monkey with Boykins. He's doing labs. He's exceptional and helpful. Tons of videos on his Patreon for a mere five to ten dollars a month, you can be on Blaine's Patreon and get everything he's put out there over the last two or three years. Um, if you're not on our Patreon, come on, get on there. You can win a free hunt with us to uh, Missouri, Southern Missouri, baby. Southern Missouri this year. Plus, you get a direct line, one-on-one help from from me as well. So, if you're enjoying the show, the podcast, our advice, etc. You know, Patreon is a big way to help me and Blaine, but it's also how we help you. So, all right, Kevin, next shout question. Out to, shout out to a brown dog. Now, you haven't mentioned Alifair becoming another of the few hunt and retriever uh, champion, Master Hunter Boykins, bud. 
Yeah, my bad. Alifair Cafaro. Deal. Yeah. 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 One of the best Super female pop. Boykins, eh? And well, I don't. Yeah, I guess she's <laughs> one one of few that have done it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't even know why I thought about it, but you talked about Brown Dog Academy and Boykins, and man, that we just got a, a Master Hunter Retriever title, and it's for a Boykin. For those of you who don't know, if you see it at the end of their name, it says MHR. It's indicating that they have a Master Hunter title in the Retriever Hunt Test games, and not the Spaniel uh, Upland games that they can do. And so, yeah, pretty stoked about her, man. She was like six for seven, just yeah. you know, crushing things. Awesome little dog going to Master Nationals, and um, she's a sister to the dog uh, Ranger that our buddy Rhett Riddle runs. It's got a couple Master National plates, so that was a, a freaking awesome breeding, man. So pretty pumped about uh Allie and and what she's doing that's old bailey and bailey buck and bailey bailey yeah the dynamic we'll have have buck ranger and Allie running maybe all three of them get a play buck buck's retirement run is master nationals this year wow so he is done man he's got 33 master passes all-time leading boykin and um hopefully gonna get the the two that you get with getting that plate Good for you. I hope I hope this year's Buck's year, man. He's a hell yeah. of a dog and produced a hell of a lot of great Boykins. All right, head over to LoneDuckOutfitters.com. Anything you need to get you and your dog ready for duck season, whether it be more bumpers, a new e-collar, some launchers, the dummy launchers by DT, wingers, anything you can think of, you can find at LoneDuckOutfitters.com to get you and your dog ready for duck season. Baby. All right, what else you got, Kev? Hit them up. Uh, ooh, this is a good one. <clears throat> whistle sits. Pete's wondering. He's got a two-year-old black lab and is having trouble with his whistle sits. She knows to sit on the whistle going out, uh, but coming back, like to or from the pile, she won't sit. And when he blows the whistle, do you think? Uh, is this your yeah, question no. that you're adding, or let's just answer his question, then Kevin can. We're editing. Live editing. <laughs> Plus, I can't read. It's really difficult. Uh, I think she's been so conditioned to come in and sit and heal after retrieving. What do you think? That she's getting confused. Go ahead, bud. Uh, this is what I you mean, that, that, we think. I think it's sit when I was doing pile work, teaching it to sit on the whistle. Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start introducing that once the dog's forced to the pile of well. You know, on the way back from the pile, before I get too deep into everything else, handling and coming back to me after going to get a bumper, but that sit on the whistle on the way back is a critical, you know, learning point for every dog so that, you know, you can adequately do swim by. You could adequately cast the dog into the water where you want to. Um, over a log, you know, we've been doing what well, we've, we've kind of named it the Alex Washburn drill and with, you know, the, the five or six piles that we're running dogs to and, and stopping them on the way back and then casting them. Um, and so to me, to answer the question, go back to your pile, go back to your tea and, you know, as your dog's coming back from that back pile, if you've got to scoot up to the apex, 
scoot up and put your hands out, yell, sit, blow your whistle, do what you have to do to get that dog to sit. Because if you cannot get that on land, you're not going to get in the water. And that's, you know, a foundational, to me, one of the most important drills in a dog's life through, you know, through basics and transition is that swim by. And if you can't get that dog to sit on the way back, you're pretty much screwed. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think what Blaine, the, the, the part that I'm going to reiterate that he said that I don't want skimped over is if you have, he, I'm going to quote him. If you have to walk out to the apex and put your hands up and get the dog to sit, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get that son of a gun to sit when I blow the whistle. And typically, like Blaine said, I'm doing that before I even do T pattern. So when I'm, I just have a back pile out, I'm not sitting in route to the back pile. I'm teaching the dog to sit on the way in. So dog does a great job and goes to the back pile. When they're coming back, that's when I'm going to get them to sit. So you're, I would say this gentleman, is it a, Man or woman? This is Pete. Pete. Pete, you kind of skipped a step. So let's take a step back, take away your overpiles, just have a back pile out there, and let's focus on getting the dog to sit on the way back. Send it straight back. When the dog's coming in, stop them. Send them straight back, let it come all the way. Send it again, stop them on the way back. And repeat it so it doesn't anticipate getting stopped on the way back, or else they're going to slow down on the way back and get all piggy on the way back. We don't want that. But here's how I do it, and I'm going to use layman's terms. I'm going to go and, quote, unquote, intimidate the dog into a set. And what Blaine was saying is walking towards the dog, towards the pitcher's mound. If you're at home plate, pitcher's mound's the middle, back pile is second base. I am going to sternly walk, tweet, set, set, tweet, set, 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 tweet, set, set. And I'm going, as I'm making forward progress to that dog, blowing my whistle and saying set, and then I may like take two hard steps towards that dog and he's going to go, oh, snap, Uncle Bob's coming. All of a sudden they slow down and sit. And then I flip the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde and go, hey, good dog. Okay, here. And I flip him a fun bumper afterwards. Send him to the back pile. Send him to the back pile on the way back, you know, tweet, walk towards him type of thing maybe a little in quote unquote intimidation. All of a sudden they said, Hey, good dog. And all of a sudden you're going to see that light bulb moment go off where they go, huh? I'm going to sit. And it gets snappier and snappier and snappier. And you don't have to walk out towards them anymore. I mean, it's just like legit a light bulb moment. It might take three times of you walking out quickly towards that dog. Sit, tweet, sit, sit, tweet. Good. Oh, hey, good dog. Okay, come here. Hey, fuck. Yep, yep, good. And all of a sudden they go, boy, I get a fun bumper. I get praise. I get hey, hey's when I sit quick on the way in. So take all the distractions of overpiles out. Do not stop them en route. Just focus on the come in. And I bet you in three eight minute sessions where you stop them on the way in, five times, eight times or so in each session, by the third session, they're sitting on the way in. So when you say like in, intimidate, air quotes, intimidate, 
is it like I'm envisioning like your your physical body language? Yeah, sort of like walking towards the dog is like a whoa. Yeah, walking towards the dog, your hands out, palms out, like shit. <laughs> you know, stop. Quit. You don't come to me. And and here's yeah. the kicker: if they sit four feet in front of you, right. first come into heel. That's a win. Then the next time it's ten feet in front of you. Then the next time it's when you blow the whistle. Those are all wins. If it comes in and heals still, not a win. <laughs> gotcha. Right? Gotcha. But if gotcha. it sits three feet in front of me, that's a win. And then you still, hey, good dog. Okay. Hey. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I am using my physical presence to pause that dog, which is why I'm saying intimidate. It's like your physical aura is coming at the dog, blowing the whistle and telling it sit, which it knows. Aura. Yeah, my aura. They got like real new age. <laughs> or my zen. I think zen is calm. I'm not being necessarily calm during this. Sit, sit, tweet, sit. Walking towards them. And all of a sudden they sit. My aura goes back to zen and happy and oh, what a good dog. So, um, and again, it doesn't take very long, but look at the little wins. If it's been coming into heel and you can't get it to stop and you finally get it to stop four feet in front of you, that's a win. So little by little, make it better. But if you don't have that tool in the tool belt of stopping the dog in the whist, on the whistle with something in their mouth and they don't drop the bird or bumper, because that's another thing that'll pop up is you'll blow the whistle and they'll stop and spit it. And then you got to say fetch and then they pick it up and they start coming in again, tweet, they stop, they spit. All sorts of weird, funny things that that's why we get paid to do this, come up and you got to work on in those moments. But if they stop and sit, we're on the right path. Not bad. Blaine, anything uh, that we kind of talked about? Oh, I, you know what? I know Kevin gave me the wrap it up deal, but I want to hear about, we, we, we digressed into your field trial world. I want to hear about these young Kenny and Fanny puppies. These dogs are what? 14 months old. Yeah. Yes. They're a, they're a little bit older than I Memphis. Can't, I can't remember. Yeah. They're, I, what are they about a month older than Memphis or so? A month or two? I don't nah, know. They're older than that, but I, think, but I think they're 14 months now. Yeah. Yeah. I think ours are like they're 14, nine or 11, 11 months. Yeah. Now. They're 14 and our maestro, we've got a couple of maestro pups that are 13. They're a month behind. Um, yeah, they're, they're bad. Little, at the ball, right. Yeah, man. They're little ball busters. They do not have any lack of desire for birds and drive and just been really, really fun. And it's sort of air quotes as Kevin likes to do our crew of, you know, a, a good sized crew of derby dogs that we hope to pop out in the fall derby season down here, you know, in September, October, when derby start, you know, rolling around down, down in the South. And, um, I don't, you know, they've just been fun. We've been doing, these dogs have seen nothing but, you know, good field trial training and their marks. You know, their basics are, ba basics are basic. Yep. Regardless if you're a hunt test dog or a field trial dog, we want you to sit. We want you to go get something, bring it back, and we want you to sit when we blow a whistle. Um, but they are all really, really fun, happy dogs, um, goofy um, we own one. She's currently in her first heat cycle. So her goofiness has gone to a, a level really, I don't even want to see anymore. 
Um, and she's not invited on my trailer for another week or two. Um, but they're fun, man. We're having fun. I've got five of the gir- five of the yellow dogs are, that I have are girls that I'm training. And man, they're fun, quirky, great personalities, run really fast, and have a I don't know, just an innate desire to stay in the water before they really knew to stay in the water. Unlike both of their parents, I mean, both their parents are good dogs, but mm-hmm. these dogs have shown a much more just they want to be in the water and they want to do the right thing, and they're a little bit softer than both parents and a little bit more pliable and uh really really happy with them and you know then i've got a couple dogs out of maestro and clip and uh they're really really nice little dogs too and so hopefully we've got eight dogs that are going to kick you know your ass in the derbies next year um not hopefully we know we're going to um but you know yeah they're fun man we just sent one home to new hampshire it left yesterday uh, on oh, the gun dog extract, yeah, to Marie. So I think she's going to get there in another day or so. Um, but yeah, there's one going up there and we repeated the breeding and they're going all over the place. And most of them, I would say 80% of them have gone to other trainers. And so, um, they're all going to be trained for either field trials or hunt tests. So pretty cool to see that, but no, man, fun little dogs. I, they're my, I've, I haven't force fetched a group of dogs in several years. And so this has been fun working with these dogs from day one and them never leaving my trailer, just being with me every day. And, um, not that Bree doesn't do a great job, but these were dogs that I had a a vested interest with that were my dogs and my puppies and really third generation of my dogs because Gracie's the grandma. Um, and Holy cow. So cool. Yeah, so, you know, putting a lot into them, and every one of them, their clients want trial dogs, and really that's all they want, and so that's what we've been doing, and so we'll see how it turns out. Like, you know, like we always say, you got to, you know, wait and see what happens, but right now, they're as good of dogs as we've got, you know, as far as their age and, and training and, you know, what they're doing and, you know, having a good time, and, you know, really, I jokingly, you know, I, I you know, belittled your breeding jokingly, but I can't wait to, you know, to see the Memphis pups and the Quinn pups and, you know, running, you know, with us and, and running field trials and derbies and cues and all that good stuff. So, um, you know, pretty exciting times. I know you've got, you know, a little bit younger, but dealing with the same thing and excited about what you got going. Yeah, for sure. Have you, so, uh, um, all right, so I guess I'm the same, right? And then I'm going to ask you a question about them in a second. Yeah. So we've got four Memphis puppies. Dad's an AFC and needs one win to be an FC AFC. They're good. They're very good. They are what what kicks my butt and and I this is my emotion, right? I put my emotion into it. They're not Memph and they're not Bo. Bo, I remember watching Bo run at six months old and he couldn't miss a mark. And we weren't throwing puppy marks. We were throwing crazy things. You're like, you're really going to run this puppy on? And he's like, yeah. You know, you know, back then he didn't really know what he was doing. Yeah, let's see if he can do it. And that dog would freaking stomp. That mustache looks good. 
But <laughs> Blaine's got a mustache instead of his beard, and it looks thicker than a snicker. Anyways, you know, they're not their parents. You know, Memphis is not soft. Bo is not soft. These guys are a little bit more soft. Um, but they mark real well. They've got a good attitude. I would say during pieces of their formal obedience and force fetch, the attitude dipped. And now that we're through that and they're doing things the right way, you see that attitude come back and their confidence blossom and their marking get like really good. Um, <clears throat> we've been extending their marks more than probably the average 10 month old, 11 month old puppy. I would say, um, they love birds. They love to work. They're just a little bit softer than I probably would like. I'd like a little more resilience in the challenges that come, but to your point in Delta, they need to mature. They need time to drink it all in and have all these life experiences that they're gaining every day from training just start to culminate into, holy cow, they're crushing. Um, I, I am very excited about them. The, the Quinn and Clooney, FCAFC Clooney, Seaside's Gorgeous George Litter, uh, those two boys are, are badass. Those two boys I actually think are well above average. Um, I would say Rambler is better of the two, but more ADD. Bo is more level-headed, but but is marking at longer distances hasn't quite hit yet. But I mean, they're six months old, seven months old, maybe seven, maybe. So tons of time, tons of prep work. We're doing a lot of put a duck down and throw a white uh, DEF two and a half gallon jug towards it. Um, so they can see the target way out there and they're just building that distance, building, stretching out, built, looking, everything that those boys see is with a white coat. Everything. Same with the pups. 99% of the time they got the white coats on, they're looking out, they're targeting longer birds. It's been pretty cool to, to watch develop, but this leads into my question before I kind of talked about my litters is what do you think you did differently with this crop of quote unquote air quotes, Kevin young derby dogs, the Kenny and Fanny puppies that are now 13, 14 months old. What do you think you did at that six to 10 month age that helped prepare them or now? Stumped them. One thing, yeah, you didn't stump me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think if I did much different or these dogs are just better. No, you did stuff uh, different. I know the answer. I, well, I did. I did stuff different. Um, I mean, I added one new thing with this group of dogs that isn't really making them better markers, so to speak, or better blind runners, but it is making them. It, it gave them something more to learn and think about is the whole two-sided issue I did with these dogs that I'm loving with these dogs. And I use almost daily with these dogs in a certain situation. Um, but I got all of these dogs, you know, mine, we're going to throw it out right now because I have that dog every day since it was born. But the client dogs, the other five, they got to me pretty early. 
And so getting a dog at four months old rather than an eight months old is a huge difference. Right. And so I'm able at four months old to begin to mold some of these things that I want to, you know, I want them at four months old to start seeing, you know, stigma in the field and, and a bird boy, even if it's only 75 yards out, but with a white shirt on a duck and them running out there, getting it and gr- even if they run the other direction, but at least they're, they're seeing those pictures early on in life. They're, you know, they're, they're swimming a lot. Um, they're doing things, you know, differently. They're doing things bigger. And, you know, we, it was, they were born at a great time where it was, you know, late winter, there's no cover in our fields. We could stretch them out. You know, yeah. they're they're running long. They're having lots of you know success running 200 yards long when they're when they're little. And you know, I, I you know, you you hate to say it, but did I focus more attention on those dogs than other client dogs? No but it was more strategic with them because of the goals of those dogs over the goals of other dogs. And say so, it again, because that was, that was poignant. It's it, not like other dogs in your kennel got the shaft. It just right. was. No, they didn't get less work, but a duck dog or a hunt test dog, not to belittle the hunt test is a different strategy than raising a trial dog and grooming a dog to be a trial dog. And I have the luxury of having an assistant who can train the hunt test dogs and give them the time they needed. But I have been, I can just say that in the last two years, I have more time for myself to do what I'm doing with my dogs. So that gives me the ability to focus on things more specifically with these dogs and, you know, make life harder on them. But in a way, they love it. And so it's not... I I can say with all humility, you know, all honesty, that these dogs have never had a bad day. Yeah. As far as as far as their attitude, they're the happiest. They don't. It doesn't matter how much I get onto them. I said they're soft, but I said they're sensitive. They're not soft. And I think there's a difference between sensitivity and soft. That's a good. All right, digress um, because that's a good point. And, so, you know. There's some dogs that I think that want to do good for you, and then so they're sensitive to the to the corrections, and they they lock in better on what you want because of that. Then there's some dogs that are soft that if you correct them at all, then they break down and they don't want to work for you, and then you lose traction. So these dogs aren't soft. I can correct these dogs, but I don't need as much correction because they're sensitive, and they understand. Okay. I can, you know, Jeremy's dog, Honey Bun. Yes, that's the dog's name, Honey Bun, for all the, you know, the lone dog. Jeremy. You know, all my Patreoners know Honey Bun. I hope his daughter, Bo, is is listening. Right. So, Honey Bun is a super sensitive dog. She's not soft. But I can yell no, and Honey Bun's like, okay, I'm sorry. Whatever I did, I will do it better this time. And she does it better this time. That's that's different from soft, because a soft, a, a really soft dog, you could tell, you know, you could yell no at the top of your lungs, and they lay down and piss themselves. Right. Right. So they're they're sensitive, and they're very they're thinking they're they're thinking through their steps. They're trying to do the right thing, and I, you know, neither. I didn't raise Fanny as a puppy. 
we got Fanny, Fanny after she was a few years old. But I raised Kenny. Kenny doesn't think. He just runs real fast and goes and gets stuff. You know, he's hard-headed. He's hard-headed. He's not soft or sensitive. You know, right. you know, it's just, it's different. And so it's funny how you get to see, you know, both parents that you know so well. And then, like I was saying, I've seen it more in Boykins over the years. And, I, and I've watched, I've seen so many different Boykin breedings and know the pedigree so well that I, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of it's random. I think, you know, a lot of it's training and, you know, what you see in two parents isn't always what you're going to see in the puppies, really? whether it be good or bad. And you might see bad things in parents that turn out to be good things in, in the puppies and vice versa. And so, you know, train the dog you have and, you know, do your best with what you have. I feel like this group of puppies that have developed through you, it's like me and Blaine talk every day, everyone, every day. He and I are, and our buddy Oliver, who's coming to New York in a few weeks and will be on the show. Every day we talk, we're sending video. It's like old people, Snapchat called Marco Polo. Every day he brings up these pups and talks about what they're doing and how, you know, good or, you know, this knucklehead did this or whatever. But like, he's got enthusiasm for the development of these young dogs and it's contagious. It's exciting. They may not be great today. They may not be great tomorrow, but by golly, that dog's going to sit on the whistle coming in on the third day. Right. And like, I, I've really enjoyed watching you share with me and Oliver, like the ups and downs of raising these, this batch of young dogs, because I've been there since you first got them in, in the hiccups and the, the real shining moments of marking ability and water attitude and, and cool stuff. And they're going to have a great career ahead of them with you at the helm. And, uh, it is, it, it makes me remember that like my batch of dogs, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, these guys are freaking good. And then other days I'm like, these freaking dogs are knuckleheads. But it's it's the shining moments that we all have to remember that it's like I would use the sport analogy again of I didn't play every rugby game perfect. I gave it my all. And I think these dogs typically give it their all as well. But they may not hit it right or they may not do it right or whatever. But it's the end game. It's the journey. And I've enjoyed watching you enjoy the journey with this young crew. Yeah, it's been fun. And I think, you know, I'll make one last statement before we end it. But to everybody out there with your dogs that you have goals with, your goals are your goals. They're not your dog's goals. Okay. You know, we ran a master test last week. I wanted to get those ribbons because clients wanted to get those ribbons and some of them are my dogs needed to get those ribbons. And I wanted to get the ribbons for the clients, but those dogs don't care about those ribbons. They don't. So your goals and their goals are different. 
you know, is your dog having fun? Is your dog getting better? Is your dog trying? Think about the small wins you get with your dog every day and don't get asked up over a bad day, over a bad drill, over a bad mark, over a bad blind. Because at the end of the day, that dog doesn't care as much as you do about that. They're a dog. They're just, they just want to get a bird. They don't yeah. care how they get to it. And so, I don't know. I've learned, I guess, in my old age compared to Bob and Kevin. And Bob always picks on me about my age. But I've just learned to be more patient with them and have more fun with them and enjoy the enjoy the ride and, and see how far we can get with them. That's awesome, man. Blaine, thanks so much for being a part of the show again. You're always a, a great guest with your insight and just enthusiasm and fun fun to be around you, man. So everybody, Hudson River Retrievers, the boy or just Boykin guy on Instagram. And for God's sake, throw the man five uh, bucks. Five, five bucks for another <laughs> bottle of Eagle Rare on Brown Dog Academy Patreon. You'll learn a ton from them. And again, it gives you just one more leg up for you and your dog to get to where you want to go by watching the videos he's put out, by joining our Patreon, watching the videos and and the one-on-one help that we give folks there. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles, a.k.a. the Brown Dog Academy Chronicles. Blaine, we're signing off. Thanks, brother. Love you, buddy. Love you, bud. Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today.